What is it you're hoping to find there? Something true. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Hey, Duncan. Yes, Bo? Guess what time it is. What time is it? It's Westworld time. I, I, yeah, I, I, we, we should have music that plays there, but we don't. Um, <laughs> well, the budgetary constraints. <laughs> yeah, but the budget of us and uh, a couple of hours. Uh, That's actually better than what I was going to do as my introduction. I was going to say, hi, I'm Duncan and I'm a creepy necroperv. Uh, Could be my favorite line in episode five. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, aren't we all to one degree or another? Uh, yeah. But yeah, all right. So we are, we, uh, first of all, listeners, uh, sorry for uh, not having a show last week, just schedules being what they were. Holy God, I've been busy at work and I don't appreciate that even a little bit. Plus, plus, Bo, the finale of Chronicle went out and the return of Hero Hero Ghost Show. So cut us some slack, listeners. Yeah. Yeah, guys. Sons of bitches. Bunch of jerks. Um, yeah, so uh, as of this recording, and, and the show will be up in a couple of days, so um, yeah, uh, you have an entire second season of Chronicle to explore now, uh, which has been great. And uh, and if you want to hear more of us talking about stuff, the very uh, first episode of season two of Hero Hero Go Show, which is about Asian horror movies, um, that premiered uh, the same day that Chronicle ended, as if we discussed it <laughs> prior <laughs> prior to that. Uh, but yeah, the uh, so yeah, we're kind of handing it off, like we're going from Europe to Asia for a while, and I think that's kind of fun. Yeah, um, anywhere anywhere that's not America at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, as, as we discussed prior to the show, this is election night here in America as we record this. Uh, which will eventually be replaced with Purge Night. I have no no doubt. <laughs> Just a matter of time, Duncan. Yay! Yay, Purges! <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, we did not get our regular uh, episode out last week, but what that means for you, dear listener, is you are, are sitting right on the tippy top of a uh, an episode that is going to cover episodes five and six of Westworld, um, which I'm kind of glad in a way because episode five, uh, not to tip my hand too early, but episode five, I felt like was connective tissue mm -hmm. and it wasn't until episode six that I really felt like episode five paid off. I, I, I was, I would, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, not that I was disappointed with episode five, but by the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, well there's some interesting stuff happening, but I don't know that it, it rocked my world necessarily. Um, that said, uh, there will be world rocking to come. Um, <laughs> I think, I think as well as the, the, between episodes five and six, we cover all the characters in the show where in episode five, we'll cover some of them and episode six, we'll cover some of them. We're, we are getting full movement on pretty much all stories over these two episodes as well, which I think is pretty good. Yes, I, I also agree with that. So uh, let us waste no time, Duncan. Um, let's jump into episode five, uh, which is entitled Contrapasso. Uh, this particular episode um, was... No, no Steve Martin in this one. No, uh, this one is uh, written by Lisa Joy and directed by Johnny Campbell. 
which is a great name. Uh, the, Johnny Campbell should be the lead singer of a rockabilly band. Um, <laughs> Johnny Campbell has done, uh, he appears to have just done a shitload of TV. That's all the guy does really is TV. And he's worked on some of my favorite TV shows. Um, so yeah, British as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, well, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, sure. So, <laughs> uh, con- Contrapasso, let us begin with a brief definition of this term. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you are you familiar with it, Duncan? I'm not. I was just thinking that it was a play on Old El Paso. Um, that would be correct if it were not incorrect. Um, <laughs> so I aim for both. That's what I aim for. <laughs> so does as- not compute. Does not compute. I mean, um, for. Oh, uh, what? Oh man, we've Sounds... got a full-on do not compute moment later in episode six. That, that oh, it's amazing! My... Yeah. It's amazing! It's so good. So, uh, but I, and I'm sure you relate. You know, like when you're at Thanksgiving dinner with the rest of the robot family. I don't know what you're on about, Bo. And... we don't we don't celebrate Thanksgiving over here. We've got nothing to be thankful for. Yeah, well, I, I guess robots would uh, like celebrate acknowledgement of something, like. <laughs> <laughs> Acknowledgement of holiday. <laughs> Consume turkey. It's just, it's just your eye calendar acknowledgement. <laughs> Today yeah. is a holiday. That's it. Uh-huh. Moving on. All, all the robots simultaneously just pause and go, thank you. And that's it. That's, <laughs> that's Robot Thanksgiving. Robots like Thanksgiving in uh, Westworld is a day where a robot doesn't get shot, stabbed, disemboweled, or raped. So there Pretty is much. no Thanksgiving in Westworld. No, Westworld, Westworld has no Thanksgiving. It's perpetually without Thanksgiving. Uh, well, back to the original point, because, you know, as, as with all the shows we do, Duncan, we strive for edutainment. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, and to help our listeners and, and surprisingly yourself, uh, wrap your head around the term contrapasso. Contrapasso uh, is most often attributed to Dante. All right. And the idea of, you know, Dante's Inferno. And Contrapasso refers to the kind of punishment. That the punishment should be appropriate to the sin. Mm. So, for example, to use The Simpsons as a reference, when Homer goes to hell in one of the Treehouse of Terror episodes and is is forced into, uh, you know, strapped to a board and a machine crams donuts into his mouth for eternity... Mm-hmm. That would be contrapasso. Best contrapasso ever. Yeah, yeah, and but it can also be like uh, more of a tantalus thing, where like you know uh, you bend your head, the water recedes, you reach up, the mm-hmm. the branch raises, stuff like that. That basically it's just a poetic punishment to an extent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that is contrapasso, and. We start this episode not with Dolores, uh, and and actually we 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 seem to be getting more and more away from that. But mm-hmm. um, we don't start with Dolores. Instead, we start Duncan with a gentleman by the name of Robert Ford, uh, who is uh, Anthony Hopkins, and he is talking to our old pal, uh, who I I think of as Curly Bill, even though that's not <laughs> his name, but. Uh, <laughs> The the bad guy from The Crow who uh, was underused earlier. Yeah, and, old Bill. Yeah. And it's good to see him back because, like I said to you, I would have been... After you told me who it was, after you told me Michael Wincott was um, was playing that, that uh, particular character on the show, I said that I would have felt rather upset 
if that guy had got an acting gig in Westworld and they'd literally used him for less than two minutes. Um, and he was back, and I was quite happy about that. And the, the beginning of the story kicked off with I'd like the retelling of a tale which was, at the same time, very philosophical and at another at other point horrifying at the same point uh yeah so. yeah uh it it really is uh kind of a fun scene um you know because of these two actors involved and, and so forth but it's also um you know ford being unsurprisingly kind of creepy uh, yeah i i think i think his character has through throughout what we've he's he's many layered. I think that's that's what I find infinitely fascinating. At, like at the very beginning, we thought of him as a quite a sympathetic character. Um, as time com- as went on, he appears to be less sympathetic. Um, and then he tells you this particular story, and I couldn't help but be repulsed by him, but at the same time feel a bit sorry for him. Um, so basically, he is talking about his childhood. Like in, in particular, he mentions his dad, um, who he says, you know, my, my dad, you know, said that I, I, I would never really achieve anything. I would never really go on to create anything. I would never be, I would never be great, you know. I would never be great. And he kind of proved them wrong by creating Westworld, you know, creating the, a whole world. And he retells a story about when they had a greyhound um, as kids. And, uh, of course, old Bill doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on here. He is certainly saying, well, yeah, partner. Um, he's, he, he doesn't have any knowledge of what's happened. And I think that's probably why um, Ford sits and talks to him. It's just a, a chance to... It's almost like speaking to the air or, you know, or, or praying, because I don't believe in either. Um that you know you're really talking to nothing, but the the fact that you're getting off your 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 chest, so to speak, is a good thing. But it mentions about you know how how they had this old greyhound, and you know greyhounds are designed to 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 race. They're racing dogs, and um, they they chase a fake rabbit around the course, and that's what that's what the race is. But they never catch the rabbit. Um, they they never catch the thing they're chasing, and. Uh, him and his brother were out, um, and the dog got off its leash and it chased down a cat, um, and it you know brutally savaged the cat. But this kind of broke the dog because not only was everyone horrified by what had happened, but the, the dog had never caught the cat before, uh, or never caught the rabbit either. Um, and as a result, when it was looking down at the mangled corpse, it didn't really it couldn't comprehend what it done or what it should do next because uh, it spent its whole life um chasing after something it couldn't get and that's a deeply philosophical point and kind of prominent prevalent to to the show because that's what a couple of characters are trying to do at the moment yeah. um uh, in particular the man in black who's trying to achieve something by reaching the center of the maze but at the same time um dolores as well dolores is for better or worse a 
attempting to find freedom within there. I mean, you can you can expand it further out to Teddy, although I don't think Teddy necessarily is. I think Teddy's programming is doing that. Dolores has something else going on in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, some dreams should never be attainable. You should never, you should never, uh, in, a, in a horrible way, you should never achieve your dreams because it ultimately disappoint you. Um, and that's how we open the show. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, you know, the uh, the old, uh, is it Yates line, uh, you know, uh, and Alexander wept for their world, were no more worlds to conquer. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, Ford is kind of in oddly the same predicament. And in the next episode, it becomes much more personal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting scene and, and yeah, Ford as a character, even through these episodes, it's hard, it's hard to tell if that maybe there is some element of inconsistent writing going on, although you wouldn't think so, but like that character <laughs> definitely moves from being sort of almost a sad old man at times to this incredibly cunning, manipulative character. Yeah, he's definitely got a god complex, and I think I think he he changes his persona and his attitude depending who he's around. So he's almost psychopathic, you know. There's a psychopathy about him, which because that's that's essentially what psychopaths do. Psychopaths adapt um, a mask, a veil, amongst different groups to be socially accepted, and very rarely does his mask slip. But when it does, it's usually around. Um, it's usually around Bernard, um, and has done in the previous episode with um, Teresa, um, where you know he he, he kind of bitch slapped her, um, and in quite a powerful way, and the mask kind of slipped there, and this kind of frail old man, you 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 kind of realise pretty quickly, oh this guy, this guy is dangerous, you know, tread with caution. Um, if you're going to try and take him on, which is obviously what Teresa wants to do, she's she's got aspirations of of greater things, and that that certainly plays up in the next episode. And I know we don't want to really kick into that, but yeah, I, once again, Anthony Hopkins, I could listen honestly, I could listen to him just tell. They should, they could put an hour long episode of Westworld, which is Hopkins just telling stories, and I would be enthralled and happy. Um, I could listen to that man talk all day, especially when the stories seem innocent at first and then take these really horrible sinister twists um, throughout the telling. But yeah, old Bill doesn't have a clue what's happening. Kind of smiles, chuckles, raises a glass, a wink. Yeah, that, doesn't that's have... one humdinger of a story, partner. <laughs> and, and like, we're going to come back to this when we talk about the next episode, but there's, there's, there's things that are flagged up here. Um, with that particular model of robot that now I have to question um, when we move when we move forward. But yeah, that was a great way to open it. Like you see, I don't know why we why we've moved away from the Dolores opening, um, unless they're they're very much aware that all the episodes are starting that way and they didn't necessarily mean to do that. Um, or, or I don't know, I don't know. It, it just seemed I, I was taken aback because you just expect to see. Dolores sitting in the nude on a chair being questioned. Um, and it was a bit weird to not to get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's push into Westworld proper. 
And here we have, uh, we do open in Westworld with Dolores. She is once more hearing voices uh, directing her to the center of the maze or, or to the maze. And um, she says, well, you know, how, how do I find it? And before we can get an answer to that, um, we have uh, William and Logan uh, standing there with her on the outskirts of Pariah, Duncan, or as I like to call it, Boland. Um, <laughs> Pariah is a place of uh, like a, a, a wretched hive of scum and villainy and also yes. a lot of orgies. Uh, like one of the first things you see when they they come into the town of uh, Pariah, no pun intended, um, is there's an open stagecoach door, and there are just a couple of people doing it in there as they're mm-hmm. walking by. It's like, all right, you know, uh, apparently this is sort of the all bets are off kind of location, and that's that's kind of what Logan tells. Um... Oh, what's his face? Uh, William. William. Yeah, yeah. Logan, Logan kind of like you know, kind of basically explains a lot of. It gives us the background and set up to what Pariah is, and basically this is a part of the park, which is, um, not seen easily. Um, but he also goes on to mention a bit more of it because we know that somehow his family is are investors or have money in the park. Um, and he kind of he kind of rattles through three stories actually really 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 quickly. The first thing that he talks about is how the park is hemorrhaging money, it's losing a lot of money, um, and there's an opportunity potentially for his family to buy it out uh, to take over control. And um, the second thing he mentions is about one of the creators of the park, um, who he doesn't know his name, but we know his name, um, who killed himself or died in the park before the park opened, and we know that as being Arnold. Um, and the, the kind of the third thing he goes on to say is basically, you know, that uh, this particular part of the park is all bets are off, really. Um, the, you know, he's, this is why he's really excited. This is why he's been pushing for them to come to this part of the park, because I don't think he has been here before, and this was the Easter egg he was talking about in the, the previous episode by catching that, that um, well, or letting that criminal free. Yeah. Um, and one of the more interesting parts of this, because this whole episode of Contrapasso really seems to be about people struggling with their own identities, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe that sounds like cheating because it, it's a show about robots who are, <laughs> who look like people and are, are maybe gaining, uh, sentience. So of course it's about identity, but in this case, like, uh, when they enter Pariah, William and Logan, you know, in that conversation that they're having about, here's who started the park, it was two partners, one of them died, blah, blah, blah. And it's William who says, uh, you know, whoever designed this, they must not have thought much of people. Yeah. And and that is a thing that kind of runs through the this episode in particular, the idea that Westworld does allow you to be the person you want to be, mm-hmm. but it also stacks the deck in favor of being kind of a terrible person well yeah and we will certainly see that by the end of this episode there is a particular change in the william character um which was hinted at 
in the previous episode where he, he killed um, a few of the the hosts um, against his wishes. He didn't. He, he didn't, really didn't want to do it, but he did it. Um, and he kind of. He didn't look like he was disliking doing it. Um, and then there's a. There's a I, I, I'll come out and say it, Bo. Um, I am moving back on some of my kind of strong rejections of certain theories that were that were put forward um when we were reviewing the second episode. Um I'm now of the belief that there there is potentially two timelines in this show and I'm fairly sure that William's a man in black. Uh how so? Right now, let me let me explain to you. To there is a, a like a proper. This is neither the time nor the place, Duncan. Yeah, <laughs> there is. <laughs> God damn you both! Um, and it, it, it particularly kind of latches into stuff that happens in the next episode, and when we get into that, I can I can explain a bit further. But right when they're having the conversation about Arnold. Right, but like, or they're basically mentioning that there is. I, I've been online as well, so I've been, I've been in, in the, the, the deep recesses of the internet, Paul, doing a bit of research because that's what I do for these people out there listening. Right, when they're talking about the the part being in trouble, there is no sense of prolonged time for the part to be in trouble, um, and there was something that. Basically says it's hemorrhage and money. Hemorrhage and money, right? Um, however, when the man in black, uh, who I think is set, obviously, later on, because I think he's William, um, was with Teddy in the previous episode, and he was kind of refueling him with blood, he'd said that they'd made quite a lot of cuts and changes to the design of the robots to save money. Which makes me think, why would you do that unless you're hemorrhaging money, right? So that's the first reason. The second reason is I, the the conversation that Logan's having with William. It doesn't sound like there's a a lot of time happened when he's saying, you know, the you know the two guys created the park and then one of them. It, it genuinely sounds like you know this is like in the first like couple of years of the park, right? Um, which makes me think, obviously, you know, that's plus is the character arc of William. Um, and his inter- and interactions with Dolores. The first time we saw the man in black meet Dolores, we saw him drag her into a barn. And we assumed that was to rape her, right? But then she had a flashback, and in the flashback, you could still make that assumption, but he said that he wanted to get reacquainted with her. Which, you know, you could take that the CD horrible, sinister way, which is, you know, he's going to rape her. Um, or you could take it, a different way in that these characters have been through things before and he is going to ask her something specifically to do with the maze because after interacting with her, he then starts his journey for the maze. Um, Dolores, at this time frame with uh, young William, um, is already fully aware of the maze. Um, So it's almost as if she's got repressed memory and the man in black after speaking to her, then begins his campaign to find the maze. Um, the the other thing I would say is that uh, technically, at the moment, William and the Man in Black have never shared a scene together, which also kind of are none of real, really none of the characters out with Dolores. 
um, have shared a scene with the man in black, right? Um, also, uh, if, we're, if we're going, if we're going to deep cuts here, um, Lawrence appears in this scene in the town um, as someone completely different, named someone completely different from the Lawrence that we know with the man in black, which makes you think either there's multiple Lawrences in there. Or they stitched them up pretty quick and put them back in the park, which which makes me think once again different timelines. And if there's different timelines, then it makes me wonder who the Man in Black is. And by the end of this episode, William has kind of embraced the darker aspects of of Westworld, not to the full extent, but he he is he is you can see he's already starting to head down. That seductive path of what Westworld is, and the one thing we know about the Man in Black is he is—he's all—he's all played out in Westworld, really, and he's—he's he's looking for the next thing. Um, so yeah, that's what makes me. I also think that he might be a sub. Uh, he might be one of the the main shareholders for the park, um, and we know that from this episode that um, William is in a position within the company uh, that owns a, a, a kind of share and they're talking about buying over parts of the park, which would also explain why the man in black gets kind of free run to do what he wants, really. Yeah, there I, you go. Info dump! I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, I'm not 100% sold, but... Uh, I Let me put there... it this way. Let me, let me put it this way. Right, right. This is my further, my further theory. My further theory is that Dolores is obviously, she's off-piste now with her programming, right? And we know that Dolores is one of the only remaining older robots in the park. She's the oldest one that still remains within the park. Um, our oldest serving host, because we'll get into episode six. But um, Dolores's loop that she's stuck in is, you know, at the start of, of the, the very first episode, is a pretty horrible loop. You know, basically, she she will always end up back to see her family dying, and if the if the guests want, and if the guests don't want that want to, the bandits will take her into a barn and rape her over and over again, and that recycles every day, and that's the sort of thing that Ford would do to spite someone. That I think that Dolores is going to do something in the time frame with William that is going to anger. Ford and Ford is gonna wreak his vengeance by putting her in the most horrible loop over and over and over again. So something that will happen in the time frame with William will have an effect, um, and I think that also ties into Ford's comments at the start about meeting your dreams. I think Dolores maybe does find like a like a higher level or something, um, and she reaches there or she finds her freedom or something. Um, only to be captured by Ford and put back in a horrible, horrible part of the park and, you know, put in this horrible cycle of, of death and rape um, as punishment. There you go. All right, all right. Uh, I, like, <laughs> you heard I, it here first, I'm, episode I'm, five. I'm on board, uh, but I, I'm not convinced yet because I, I don't think there's any evidence disputing what you're saying. I'm 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 just not sure yet. 
the cra- the, I, I get crazier as this goes on. Wait till you hear my theories about the next episode. So good, good. I'm coming out with the theories. I realised listening back, Bo, that we're keeping our, we're still keeping our cards quite close to our chest, and we're at the halfway point now. That it's time to start putting them on the table. All right, uh, my uh, my proverbial <laughs> card is on the table already, Duncan. Oh um, dear God. <laughs> let's. All right. So, uh, speaking of the man in black in the next yes. scene. So, uh, El Hombre de Diablo, I think, is, <laughs> it, he's traveling once again with uh, Teddy, who he picked up at the end of the last episode, is, is thrown across one of the horses because he's in rough, rough shape. And Lawrence, who is, again, kind of treading along behind, still with the noose and rope. <laughs> yeah. It looks like he's having a ball. Yeah, uh, Lawrence is once more uh, letting it be known that he is not terribly thrilled with the Man in Black <laughs> treatment of him, and Ed Harris is is typically wonderful in the scene uh, where he's like, you know, Lawrence, every every I, I, the way he puts it is every uh, every loop or every journey or every path leads back to me. Yeah, um, which is kind of fun, and. And, and might play into your theory as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so, I, I don't want. I didn't. I didn't want to say anything. But yeah, there, there are, I, I have. I have researched this both. I'm, I've been on Reddit. Reddit doesn't lie. It's not full no. of paranoid people posting lots of shit. Yeah, most people who post on Reddit are are very psycholo- psychologically healthy uh, folks. <laughs> um, if you post on Reddit, be sure to share this show. Uh, <laughs> so in. In in typical man in black fashion, um, he he's kind of given Lawrence some guff, and uh, the little boy uh, that we saw way back in what episode one? Uh, yeah, he had a, a small interaction with Ford. Yeah, so he shows up out in the middle of nowhere, and Ed Harris kind of gives him an odd look, and then says, um, "Hey, why don't you go fill up this water?" And he sends him off to go uh, fill up the uh, the sow skin. And as he leaves, Ed Harris says, too small. Yeah. <laughs> as if foreshadowing, Duncan. And Lawrence says, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, uh, I, I need one last favor here, Lawrence. <laughs> and he then s- slits Lawrence's throat ties the rope that Lawrence has been carrying around for a while around his feet, tosses that over a tree, strings him up, and drains blood into the sow skin that Lawrence had filled with water that very morning. And uh, we don't know why at the moment. Yeah. We just know that it happened. And it's always sad to see Lawrence go. <laughs> But man, it was it was a great exit for Lawrence, and uh, uh, a really wonderful scene between him and Ed Harris up until the point, and well, including the point, quite, frank, quite frankly, where Ed Harris. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ed Harris realizes that Lawrence isn't the guy to get him to the next stage. So, well, and he says like, "Hey, Teddy is the guy that's going to get me to the big bad wolf." Yeah, which is Wyatt, and Wyatt, as we learned from the last episode, is somehow a part of the puzzle of the maze. Well, mm, is he? 
he's got to be some kind of way because Wyatt. I, I think he's Wyatt didn't exist until barely recently. Wyatt was programmed in. Unless, unless I'm, I'm, I'm misunderstanding. No, why why it became a part of the story really, really late on, and it was put in as a bit of a backstory for Teddy, because uh, Teddy's story wasn't fleshed out. And I think why it is a deliberate red herring by Ford to delay the Man in Black from getting. It's too too tempting, too tantalising for him. It's almost as if I think Ford knew that. You know, the man in black was ultimately going to come across. I've got so many theories now. Uh, come across Teddy, um, and Teddy was going to take him to Wyatt. Um, but I don't necessarily think Wyatt's going to take them to the next part of the maze. I think this is Ford playing God again and deliberately taking him off the scent or delaying his progress um, in favour of. of I don't know something else at the moment. I don't know right. why, but I, I don't think I don't think why because there's a there's an interaction later on which we'll talk about, which was probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened in this show. Like literally, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like sitting sitting on my couch. Um, but yeah, I I, um, I think the man in black thinks the Wyatt is something that I don't think he is. Theory. All right. All right. Um regardless of your crackpot theories, Duncan. <laughs> I'm going to have so much egg on my face by the end of this season. I'm I, look, I'm doubling down on Spaceship, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, but but the, the scene uh, then moves uh, to the good folks at the Delos Corporation. In particular, uh, two of the lab technicians that we have uh, have seen before who, you know, when the bodies of the hosts are brought in, um, they're the ones who kind of go clean it up and, and prep them and all that stuff. Felix and Sylvester. Yes. Other names. So, uh, and it's, uh, Felix is the main guy. He, he has a bit of a, um, a side project, I guess. Yeah. He's got aspirations. They currently are known their, their job title are butchers. So basically when the bodies are, you know, wheeled in filled with holes and god knows what else um they are repaired um by the butchers the butchers that that's their jobs to dig the slugs out of the bodies and clean out whatever has been deposited in the bodies um get them kind of set back up and uh send them unless they're not being reprogrammed um basically send them upstairs to to get you know you know, uh, dressed in and then sent back in. And that's that's their whole responsibility. But Felix has these aspirations. He's found a, a broken bird uh, robot, and he is trying to reprogram this bird to work, I think, in the belief that if this works, he will be promoted um, to a different department. He doesn't look like he's having a whole hell of a lot of fun being a butcher. Yeah, and, and what this scene does is it really just serves to set up what happens later, which is mm. that Felix has this behavior, uh, like it, not a tablet. It's almost like a, a mini minority report pamphlet, but mm-hmm. it, it's the interface device, much like a cell phone. Um, and so we see that he's got that, he's got this bird stashed 
and that Sylvester is talking about going to uh, bang a virtual reality redhead. Yeah. <laughs> and take off. So so essentially we've established who Felix is, who Sylvester is, and the fact that Felix has this device and Maeve is the one on the table. After yeah. she's yeah, she 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 died again and remembering back to a previous episode, um the two of them have already had a bit of a scary experience with Maeve when she reactivated herself um as a corpse. And uh, took in a bit of the sights which she shouldn't have, so they're being doubly cautious around her now to make sure she's switched off and all the rest. Um, and it also appears that she always seems to get sent to them. So I don't know if certain butchers deal with certain hosts, um, but every time she's died, that's where she's went. She's went to to, to Felix and Sylvester. Yeah, I kind of uh, see it as like that's your shift. You yeah. know, like, it, depending on what time you're working, it's, you know, you and, you know, one other team, maybe. So, it doesn't seem ridiculous to me uh, that they keep getting Maeve back. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I get it. Also, what a kind of a crappy job after a while. Um, well, I think this is why Felix is... I think um, Sylvester is very much, you know, exploiting the job for what he can do, you know, get in there, get his, his work done. We'll find out a, a really juicy little tale about him in the next episode um, as to why he may be enjoying his job a little bit too much. Uh, but you get this feeling that Felix really feels like he is destined for something, something greater. Uh, once again, playing into the kind of overall theme of this episode about what happens when you try and follow your dreams, right. uh, which plays out in the next episode. Um, yeah, he, he, he's desperately he's desperately trying to to do something more substantial in his life to to basically prove that he is he's better than just this butcher job, um, and 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 the Delos Corporation. Absolutely. Um, all right, so. Shall we turn our attention back to Westworld, Duncan? Yes. What, the park to. itself. Um, and now we're back with the man in black and uh, the hanging body of Lawrence. Uh, and what has happened is that the man in black has given uh, Lawrence uh, all of, or not Lawrence, I'm sorry, Teddy, all of Lawrence's blood that he mm-hmm. drained from him. And that's kind of perked uh, Teddy back up, at least... <laughs> Put him back in the land of the living, although I had a lot of questions about the science of this. Like, do the hosts have a blood type? If so, can you? is it universal? Also, why do they need blood? Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of explained in the next episode. So I know what you mean when you were saying that. There's a lot. Episode 5 may feel unsatisfying to an extent but some of the questions raised in episode 5 are answered in episode 6 so when you when we link back into that you can see how the hosts are built and it looks like it's just a universal blood type of some sort being pumped into the body yeah. and and Teddy Teddy comes back um, I don't think Teddy really wants to be back I think Teddy's pretty much of the still kind of let me die um, but the man in black has his man knows what he wants um, and yeah, all, all is well in the world, kinda. Well, until the man in black is like, "Hey, I'm gonna go after Wyatt," and Teddy's like, "I don't know, man. I'm kind of, I'm I'm not in great shape." <laughs> and 
the man in black is like, yeah, he's got a girl with him. I think you may know her, Dolores. Yeah. And at that point, Teddy's programming kicks in. And he's like, Dolores, that's my girl. And <laughs> he, you know, perks up and is ready to go do battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we go uh, back to William and Logan and Dolores. And, uh, and it, both him. Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, at Bowtown or Bowland, I'm not sure what we're calling it yet. Oh, yeah. Bowland. Uh, it could also just be called uh, Venaria. <laughs> Venaria or Botopolis. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> as you do in, in Beauville, uh, you're going to be standing in front of some coffins, which is where we pick up with uh, Dolores. And... Really, the whole scene is, is sort of about her and uh, her conversation with William, where she's talking about uh, multiple paths before you, you know, that every moment is made up of a million little decisions that you have to make and stuff. And um, yeah, once again, reaffirming the idea of her as someone who is starting to contemplate such things uh, as, as her her future and, and how she might arrive at that. And then Logan shows up and is like, hey, you know, I got us, I got us a gig. We're going to go have some fun. And uh, he refers to um, Dolores as a doll, mm-hmm. which William takes some affront to. And uh, and then Dolores, though, uh, through the streets of Pariah, uh, is marching um, like some sort of Haitian-influenced parade. Yeah, it's a kind of Day of the Dead, sort of Cinco de Mayo sort of thing. Yeah, and and so there is a fortune teller marching along with them, and Dolores stares at her and then starts to see herself in, in that place. Yeah. And then she gets all, you know, like, oh, I got the vapors. And... <laughs> When she wakes up, she's sitting across from Ford. Did you not write? So see when she's like having the vapor, so to speak, um, like Anthony Hopkins voice says whatever he says to, he has a particular thing he says to make them sleep. And you hear him whisper that and she, she kind of closes her eyes and. And then drifts away. Yeah. Drifts away, which once again, kind of undoes the two timeline theory but at the same time, I want to say reinforces the two timeline theory because this scene doesn't really make sense. Um, she's in a crowd. She's not that far away from William. And then all of a sudden she's sitting opposite Ford um, for a wee interview for a wee while. Uh, and then she's returned back. No one really notices she's gone and no one really acknowledges what's happened. Um so yeah, I, I, which makes me think, and I know you, you originally said that maybe the interviews with Dolores are happening in a different time frame, and I think that's right. I, I, I'm now more convinced of that than I've ever been, that it, it just seemed like there was so much happening around there that you would know if an extraction crew just appeared and took her away. Um, I, you know, it doesn't make any, any sense uh, to me, so I think that she obviously sees herself as this kind of fortune teller sort of thing, which we will assume is a role that she has played before, potentially, and she's having one of these flashback memories like some of the, the characters are having, um, and it triggers something, and she, she goes a bit screwy, which I think is the scientific technical term. It is, verified. For, for, yeah, for what happens when robots go a bit 
off their off their programming. Um, and then she's sitting opposite Ford, and um, Ford has some like specific questions, some really specific questions, in particular about Arnold, which is a name we're hearing more and more of as these episodes are going on. Yeah, and at this point. It, this is, you know, if we are dealing with multiple timelines, according to Dolores, this is 30 years after Arnold's death. Yeah. Uh, or three years, 42 days, and whatever. And Anthony Hopkins is very specifically asking her, when was the last time you talked to him? Have you heard from him lately? You know, it's like the Ghostbusters line from Larry King. Like, yeah, have you seen Elvis and how is he? Um <laughs> So, and then the scene kind of ends with, like, he takes her into analysis mode and all that stuff. The stuff that, you know, gets to the root programming where she can't lie. And he even asks her, like, are you lying to me? Have you ever lied to me? And uh, she's like, no, man, we're cool. Uh, in robot <laughs> speak. Um, I don't know. You do it. I, I don't know what you mean. I'm not a robot, Bo. Oh, okay. I'm not a robot. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get... I, I'm not... I'm not a robot. I get confused sometimes. Um, so uh, Robert uh, is uh, finally convinced, like, oh, he hasn't really been, or sh she hasn't been hearing Arnold's voice. She's not speaking to anybody. I, apparently Dolores is, is all checked out. And uh, then he fucks off, and you hear, like, the spooky voice, and uh, she's like, no, I didn't tell him anything. Um, so it's clear that Dolores, if not programmed to do so, has reached the stage of deception, um, yeah. which there had been hints of before anyway, but this was very specifically, yes, Dolores is hearing these voices that are guiding her toward the maze and she is able to defeat the programming commands of Ford to keep that back to secret. I think I think what's um, what's quite interesting about this scene, two things. The first thing is that when she's asked what the last thing Ford said to her was that you know she basically was going to help them destroy Westworld. This is what Ford was kind of like the last command was Dolores was going to help him you know d destroy Westworld, um, which makes you wonder why. Um, the second thing that kind of that, that gets flung up about this is is Arnold some sort of ghost in the shell? You know, what I mean, is is he did he transfer consciousness or a program of himself in there, and that's why all these things are are happening now? Um, Arnold, it was kind of explained in one of the earlier episodes, was the guy that really had all these particular phrases. Uh, that he would use to deactivate the robots and all the rest, and it's what we've seen um, Ford do. But that was Arnold's baby, and remembering back to episode one, these violent th these violent delights have violent ends. Is that the right? That phrase? is correct. Yes. Yeah, that was the phrase that triggered it off, and it was said at a very deliberate time. That I'm wondering if you know Arnold as like some sort of now weird kind of ghost program ghost in the shell so to speak within the, the the programming of westworld has begun some sort of virus almost a, a catalyst by saying these things but which have triggered which triggered things off um 
I have another theory, um, which right. is more a kind of... It's not quite an episode six. Um, I think Bernard might be Arnold. Now, you're, you went quiet because you're like, that's silly, Duncan. No, well, I'm not, I don't think it's silly. I'm just trying to... That doesn't really line up for me because you see uh, Bernard and Robert together at a point that feels like it's long after Arnold has been there. Yeah, I think I think Bernard is a host. I think he's a robot. Oh. I think he's a robot creation on in the likeness of Arnold. Um, the reason I say that is when... Bernard because was you're shown... a crazy person, but go ahead. No, 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 no. There's specific reasons. When Bernard was shown the photograph of Arnold, right? Remember that? In Ford's office. Yes, 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 yes. The guy that was standing beside Ford is the same robot as... This is how it's technically in episode six. Um, is a robot we see in episode six, which is Ford's father. Who's not Arnold. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Yep. Right, so it's the same. It's the same. It's the same actor, right? Um, so there's three things that that lead me to this. One, that doesn't make sense. Two, I don't think we're going to have a character like Arnold played by a a nobody actor. You know what I mean? Because that guy's a nobody. Yeah. I think it's a substantial character that makes me think a substantial actor, right? And the third thing that makes me think that is it's already been established that hosts can't understand pictures. So when he saw the picture, it disguised as this other person, or he couldn't see himself in the picture. Yeah. See if you like if you if you Google it and look at the picture, there is a, a weird space in the picture where it looks like there may have been someone else standing, and he couldn't see himself in the picture. Oh my goodness, you have been on a lot of Reddit. Um, I have been. I've honestly, I have, I have deep dived like a son of a bitch. Um, I have, I, I have been, I've been down the rabbit hole, out the rabbit hole, back in the rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, if you look at the picture, it is a very strange picture, and I think, I think, like genuinely, it was being shown to him because Ford can do that. Ford understands that they don't understand pictures and all the rest. Um, and I think he's, I think he's shown them the the photograph. Um, knowing fine well that the only person that we would see, because we're seeing it from the point of view of Bernard, is the the other gentleman who is actually Ford's father. Oh dear! All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm starting. I'm starting to come around more and more the more we talk about this. So I don't care, like it's the most exciting show I think. Of like honestly, like to see the conspiracy theories are coming from all angles now. That a bit like we put this, we put this conversation off a week to talk about, and I have literally just been like bursting. I almost spoke to you about this all Sunday when we were recording the Ringo show. I was just like, I want to talk about it. Bo. I was like, no, hold it. Nope, hold it to the nope. official recording. Save it. Save save it for the gold. Um, mm. Yeah. So, all right. All right. I, I, Right, that, but there have been conversations between uh, Bernard and Dolores, right? Many, many, many conversations. And I think that they're in a different time frame as well. Well, but, okay, so there is also, from back in the first episode, where Bernard and, and Ford 
are talking about bootstrap consciousness and you know, you can explain this away with your magic eraser of, well, he's a host and he has host memories. But Ford discusses Arnold with him and and how Arnold had been had been chasing that. Mm-hmm. I think but I think we're attributing their conversations as happening in the same time frame. And I don't think they have. I think what we're seeing is the original Arnold, not Bernard. Unless she refers to him as Bernard, which I don't think she does, I think it's the original Arnold changing Dolores, putting her on a on a path of enlightenment, which sets her on the road with William and Logan to find the maze. But then, who's at the center of the maze? Because, because again, we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But <laughs> you know, the story is there is a person at the center mm-hmm. of the maze, and someone that has died and been because this is explained in the next episode, someone that has died and came back many, many times. The, the a host. Maze. Yeah, I, well, we tell, you'd have to think a host, who built uh, a maze that is impenetrable, basically impossible to navigate unless you are that person um, and resides within it so they, they don't die anymore or they don't have to interact with the park anymore. So I don't know who that is, but, and I, I dare say that, I, I don't even begin to know where, where the theories go with that. But I think from what we know from Dolores and what Dolores says about basically, you know, um, Arnold setting her on the path to destroy Westworld, that that makes more sense in terms of the interviews between Bernard and Dolores, where he is basically, you know, he's basically... Coaxing he's, her he, into consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 basically he's changing her as a, you know, giving her giving her almost this this kind of this level of consciousness, and then we know where that has led. She's she basically in this episode becomes a bit of a badass, um, and in the previous episode, you know, kind of calamity Jane sort of cowgirl badass uh, sort of character which has stemmed out of their conversations. It has broke her out of the the confines of whatever she was doing at that time and set her on this path, which makes me, once again, which kind of underlies my my thing of that she has... The the Dolores we see in the fourth time frame is being punished for whatever she does at the hands of what Arnold tells her to do. All right, have, have, all right, I blown, all right. have I blown your mind yet, Bo? Are you are you now thinking I need to watch these episodes again? Because I've seen episode five twice. No, I'm about to I'm about to flip shit on you, Duncan, and you're about to have <laughs> your mind blown. I can't wait. All right, so I've been thinking about this May situation, right? And in particular, mm-hmm. the idea of I've created, like I as the creator of the maze, have created this labyrinth around myself that no one can penetrate. And I think that labyrinth is the whole of Westworld. Oh, that the, the stories and all the, you know, the robots and all that stuff that those are all the walls of the maze that, that you have to actually get past the fact that, you know, I mean, it's kind of the theme of this episode, right? It's getting past what, the seduction of Westworld is mm-hmm. and, and finding your way to some sort of personal revelation, uh, revelation, some sort of personal freedom. 
Yeah. Um, and, and which is what, the, you know, the mythological, uh, you know, person at the center of the maze is it kind of is. But I think that you're going to find that whoever that is, is somehow the one pulling all the strings in Westworld because yeah. it's all a defense mechanism. Ah. Right? Yeah, that would make sense because the, the, there have been specific markers that the man in black keep, keeps coming across. Um, and those markers could be pointers within a mate. Yeah, yeah. Both you've, I, I, I am, I am on board, sir. All right. I, I think I would like that more than an actual physical manifestation of a giant maze. Although it'd be yeah. cool as fuck to see in it. I, I don't, I don't want to see someone stumbling around in a maze for three episodes. That, that to me is, is not as exciting. Right, it, like if it just was revealed that yeah, the the maze itself is metaphorical. That the man in black has been in the maze all along. It's oh. only by pursuing this man that he can find the end of the maze. Because you don't know you're in the maze until you do, and once you yeah. do, it's all you see. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Right. Yeah. I love this show, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. Let, let's get back to some quick plot stuff. So. Um, during, uh, at, all right. So after Ford and Dolores have their chit chat where she's like, <laughs> he's like, have you talked to Arnold? And she's like, maybe, uh, it's terrible, terrible. Uh, <laughs> and then we also see another quick snippet of the, uh, Felix and Sylvester show. Only yeah. this time, uh, we understand that Felix is starting to learn how this little behavior deal works and he's got uh you know the bird fluttering around and sylvester busts in is like man you've got to get rid of that shit or i'm gonna turn you in because you're gonna get fired if you get caught and i ain't going down with you um and that's kind of it i just want to point out like we we do have continuing adventures of felix and sylvester (laughs) interesting names for characters as well they're looney tunes names yeah they are Looney Tunes names you know i mean it's like uh, both cats names as well yeah, that's Felix true. Cat and Sylvester. Yeah, yeah. And Sylvester the cat. I, I thought I was quite interested. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Huh. Okay. Well, and there was a don't, bird don't know what, I don't, I, I'm going to say it doesn't relate to anything but, at the moment anyway, but I thought it was quite interesting. But one of the things between them is this fluttering bird, Duncan. Yes. Mm. Mm, that's quality, quality speculation. Um, <laughs> feels, it feels good. Uh, <laughs> so... So then we go back to Westworld, and and like the the back end of this episode again becomes kind of a western. Um, yeah, where you have uh, so here's the situation back there. We get the reveal that there is a Lawrence lookalike who is the guy, the, like the the crime boss of Pariah, mm-hmm. and he's got this kind of strained relationship with the confederados yes and the confederados are some confederate soldiers who thought uh the south was poorly treated in the civil war Uh, surprise surprise (laughs) sorry it's hard to say that without laughing (laughs) because as a southern uh american even i understand like we were on the wrong side of that one um but you will rise again Here's what I'll say about that, Duncan. <laughs> that uh, that expression is used pejoratively. 
because of what this out like you know look slavery is america's sin not just the south's and the south takes the all the heat for it because we fought a war over it and rightfully so we should we should take some shit for that but you can it, this is a real michael jackson scenario where you can love <laughs> the art and hate the artist um because not only did the South uh, support slavery, unfortunately, and of course wrongly, they also wrote Billie Jean. No, no. they. Uh, <laughs> no, there is also a, a very much uh, a real Southern charm and gentility that is, uh, that is worth preserving, and there ought to be more of it. And if the South rose again, that's the South I want to see. So I'm obviously running for Senate. Um, that's what I thought. I was I was a bit here, you know. The following statement has been endorsed by Bo Ransdell. Yeah, yeah, paid for by people <laughs> to keep Bo out of office. Uh, <laughs> that would be a horrible, horrible idea. But uh, so the Confederados are the bad part of the South. Make no mistake, they mm-hmm. are uh, folks who are making runs across the border because they want to kill a bunch of Mexicans. I guess like, that's just kind of their shtick. Yeah, uh, which why not? I mean, if you're going to have a shtick, uh, you know, welcome to Trump's America. Um, say it's better than building a wall, surely. I honestly, that's probably Trump's backup plan. If the wall doesn't work, <laughs> we're just going to send Confederados in across the border periodically, <laughs> keep keep everybody in check. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, old Lawrence, but not Lawrence is uh and 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 i did have that question of like okay are they just reusing him but it, now that you, we're talking about timelines things are, it just yet yeah it, 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 it didn't make much sense but that may explain it who know, who knows my, my guess is as good as anyone's really bo and obviously fitting the, the the pieces together in a way that suits my my particular theory of westworld but i'm fairly sure there's plenty of theories out there how he got in there and it could just be as simple as the same certain characters are used more than once certain designs of robots are used more than once especially in this older part of this is maybe where the original kind of lawrence bot went um and then may- another one closer to the center i don't know may- perhaps so but you also have the writer who we'll see in the the next episode um who in a previous episode was complaining about the fact that he couldn't get enough new models Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I wonder if if that eliminates the argument that maybe he just has multiples or something. So yeah, you uh, would like to think that uh, you would like to think that when we see the makeup of the company, they wouldn't be reusing the same design over and over again. But uh, yeah, so he, he has a completely different name, um, some some ludicrous name, and. Um, he needs some. I guess it was like some flammable liquid or some. It's nitro. Yeah, yeah they're the, yeah. like the union uh, or yeah, the like soldiers are are, are uh, taking nitro mm-hmm. um, through Westworld, and uh, the gig is yeah, you've got to. Um, they, they need somebody to steal the nitro from this like union soldier wagon. Mm-hmm. And uh, Logan and Dolores and William end up volunteering for it. You know, yeah. mostly William and Logan because they're like, "Look, we can't get killed, so we'll go do this thing." Mm-hmm. And so uh, they are 
tempted at that point uh, with um, what I like to call the try Goldfinger. (laughs) (laughs) Where three naked ladies in gold paint just show up. Oh, my God. Yeah. And... Uh, There's a whole lot of naked bodies in this episode and a whole hell of a lot of fucking. Well, it's funny because you get the naked ladies and then the very next scene is Elsie uh, checking out, like, uh, in the behavior unit, trying to help out a bartender who's got, like, maybe I just don't know, Duncan, but that looks like (laughs) a big dick to me. like he, He was sitting there with a horse's cock between his legs. It was just, it was like an elephant's trunk, a third leg, just, just flopping in the breeze. And not erect. This, this thing was (laughs) semi-chub at best. I get, I get the impression that if it reached full turgidity, the amount of blood that would have to flow to there would kill the rest of his body. And he'd pass out, yeah. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be be blue. That's, (laughs) that's the curse, is every time you get a boner, you, you go over like a sack of potatoes, because you can't. Yeah, you get (laughs) lightheaded. Yeah, you can't power both of those things at once. (laughs) I love that, I love the fact that she, she does not hide her glee. Um, at all at looking at this this massive member, um, but what we get is a really interesting scene here because not only is she staring at a massive cock, right, um, but a body's pushed past her, and it's her lumberjack friend who caved his own head in um, from earlier on, and she's like, "Well, I was told not to go near him, but fuck that." Um, yep. So she she basically goes down, and she's now in with the butchers. Um, on the butcher level, and uh, Felix and uh, Sylvester are in the other room, and she goes into this room with this kind of hapless-looking butcher, and um, she's like, listen, you know, do you know who I am? You know what I do? Uh, I just kind of need a bit of time to check over this. And he's like, no, you're not supposed to do that. This is my job and all the rest. And she's like, well, (laughs) Um, the thing is, I have a bit of footage, and the footage is basically of him shagging a dead host um and she's like you know how we said that we don't you know the the, the hosts don't record um all their actions when they're in dim time well that's a lie because look um and he is mortified obviously um because he's been caught with his fingers in the cookie jar i don't yeah. know i don't know where i was going with that um <laughs> fingers yeah, in the dead well and but that's the thing again it's the coffee machine thing uh, yes. Of like, well, you're just you're kind of abusing company property at a certain point. Yeah, it's, it's basically it's the it's the kind of office equivalent of stealing some post-it notes. Really, that's well. Yeah, that... eh, I think it's I, I, more like the office equivalent of fucking the, the copier. So <laughs> to get, get sitting on the copier with your naked ass getting it photocopied at the Christmas party. Right, like somebody's got to clean that up, man. <laughs> Oh my god! So yeah, so he's he's obviously a bit uh, a bit embarrassed, um, and allows allows Elsie access, um, and I don't know if it's at this bit or if it's slightly later on, but Elsie finds something strange with the the lumberjack's arm. Yeah, the, yeah, this is it, uh, and and has to go to Bernard with it. Yeah, or she, she pulls Arnold. a light. A line of cable with a red light at the end of it out this guy's arm. Um, 
and and aha <laughs> runs Eureka <laughs> runs up to speak to to, to Bernard um, and we find out we find out that some Dennis Nidri sort of character is is trying to smuggle information out of Westworld. This is a transmitter. Um, it's, ah, 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 that's not the magic word. Um, yep, yep. So, so as it's a, a Nidri-esque plot uh, developing, quite funny, the, the, the obviously when you think about Westworld, written by Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park, also written by Michael Crichton. That's just for my peeps. Um, <laughs> what? That's just for my peeps. Your peeps. Um, Peeps, P E E P S. No, I peeps. know what you said. I just didn't know you had any. Oh, you son of a! My 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 peeps are out there. They're appalled. And when I say my peeps are out there, this is, I mean me listening back to this recording. I'm appalled at what you said, but uh, but yeah. So um, she's like, ah, there's there's something going on here. You know, there, there's a broadcast of information being leaked out the park. And I'll be honest, I kind of know where the story goes. But at this point, I was like. Is obviously Teresa, because we know that she has some sort of plan that she's not alluding us to, um, and we'll find out if I was right when we talk about the next episode shortly. Uh, but yeah, so that that kind of loops that that particular story out, which I quite liked as well because I I kind of felt like maybe in some of the other episodes, where are we going with this? What, why is this lumberjack thing happened? Why has it kind of just been, is it just to show that the robots aren't working right? Or, you know, or is there some, is there a, a deeper story here? And I quite like the fact that we're, we're getting snippets of this to carry this over. Because this is like, unless all the plots tie together in a nice neat bow at the end of the season, which I don't think they will because we're going to get more than one season of Westworld. Um, there's some sort of plot happening in the background of the show, and I like that we revisit it every now and again just to progress the story on. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. Was this satisfying? Do you want? Did you want? Did you think that maybe they should be spending more time doing this? You nah, know, I, this part of the story, or do you think it's just okay in the background? Uh, for right now, it, it, I, I felt like it was okay in the background because it gets way more attention in the next episode. Yeah. And 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 maybe that's why when I finished episode five, I did feel a little, a little dissatisfied that you would bring this up, you would introduce this new element and not push it forward at all. It's just like, oh, here's another thing. And I think in episode five, one of the problems that I I felt with the episode overall was that there were all there were these continuing teases. Of like, well, here's a little bit more information about this. Here's a little bit more information about this. Here's here's this new thing now. And I felt like you were starting to see so many loose ends that it was like, I don't know how you you wrap this up, much less follow it, you know, for multiple seasons. And I, I felt like it's about time we started closing some loops just so not not for the overall mystery or anything like that uh but just give me something that's like oh okay i have one more piece of knowledge some more uh, a little bit of satisfaction that i know th- i feel secure about this one thing you know what i mean um where just as as a viewer i can leave that episode feeling like i saw the conclusion of at least a, a small part of a story and Westworld is not great about that, and most of the time I'm fine with it. And I felt like mm-hmm. this episode, there were just a few too many little nudges of like, huh? Huh? 
Yeah. You know? And, but with episode six, he says hitting his mic, uh, with episode (laughs) six, I really felt like some of that got fine-tuned and moved forward in a much more satisfying way. Yeah, it's kind of like almost the, the, like, um, unsatisfying setups because you don't know their setups in episode five, but when you see the reveal of information in episode six, you see why it's done that way. There's just a lot of it in episode five. You know what I mean? It's like episode five sets up so many things to be answered in the next episode where you're kind of like, yeah, maybe one or two things, but focus on kind of progressing the story, though, and episode five would have been nice. Um, and then they answer quite a lot of points in the next episode. But we're watching this. Luckily, on this show, we're doing both episodes back-to-back on this recording. But when you're watching a show week-to-week and not that option, that Netflix option of binging, um, you can I think I think now... As as people that do shows like this, but I think we are constantly looking into everything in an episode. Like, like we're we're scrutinising it to to come up with theories and all the rest to do these shows. That we are not necessarily viewing the show as your average person is viewing the show. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're maybe putting it under the microscope, and as a result, certain things can feel unsatisfying to watch just because we're expecting like a payoff or we're expecting something that, that, that feels satisfying or a progression of the story in a satisfying way that that sometimes television just doesn't do. Some there's a reason some of the seasons ten episodes long they've got a, a you know, an idea of a story and they're pacing it out over those ten episodes. And sometimes that means certain aspects of the story will move pretty quick and others will move slower or, or whatnot. Um I totally agree with you. I think that to me, I was I was watching that going, ah, you, you know, I mean, right, we're kind of moving this along. I don't necessarily know if it's the most satisfying way, uh, but at least we're moving it along. Um, and then by the next, next episode, we get a you know a sizable chunk of time spent to it. But on its own, without that context and knowing where it's going, it does kind of feel like oh, we're just are we padding five minutes out here by putting this back in. We're over oh, back with Elsie. Oh, what are you doing now? Um, we have a uh, a Bacchanalian orgy to get to, Duncan. Um, so after Elsie has made her reveal, we then go back to William and Logan and Dolores, who are in Westworld. And there they are at a... One can only imagine what passes for a typical Tuesday in Venaria. <laughs> where... Or Pariah. Where... Uh, <laughs> Just the whole of the town has gotten together to get naked and pile on top of one another and uh, and just, you know, fuck the world away. <laughs> and uh, it, it, but a Nine Inch Nails playing on the piano in the background. Quite Nine Inch Nails. Yes, absolutely. And it was as close as we are going to get to an eyes wide shut nod. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> it, is, it is eyes wide shut, only there's more fucking. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you can believe that. So, (laughs) um, but during, uh, in in the midst of the orgies that are occurring, um, and there are multiple orgies, there are a number of piles and God only knows who's cleaning that up. Uh, one assumes that it's one of the hosts programmed to clean up that mess, you know, cause none of (laughs) nobody back at Delos is like, no, I'm not touching all that. Uh, that's how you get diseases in Westworld. (laughs) 
So uh, William and Logan uh, kind of go at it because w- this is the moment where William is like, you know what? I finally figured out what this place is. And this place is a, a, a simulation designed to bring out the worst in people. And they they kind of come to blows or not a, a full-on fist fight, but, you know, it's more of a schoolyard pushing and shoving kind of thing. And then... Uh, William realizes that Dolores has taken off. So he goes to find her. Uh, we cut to her and she's walking down the Hall of Blowjobs, uh, yeah, which yeah, I think is a uh, living museum. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a fun scene to write. You know... I, I can't help but write like even as as a, a you know a half-assed writer such as myself, um, it's tough to write sex scenes because you're like, man, some actors got to do this, and there is nothing more uncomfortable that I can imagine than being naked in front of thirty strangers. Oh yeah, that's the, the, you, you know, like fair play to all the actors involved in this because heads were very close to genitals. Um, oh, no doubt, and and that dick we mentioned earlier is no prosthetic. <laughs> no, no, that's that was that was a real dick. So, um, so yeah, there's there's a it, it was I, I mean, it's it's worth noting. Um, I, I don't know if we went to I don't know if you went into full detail on it actually about the catalyst for what sends um, Dolores running away, and it's basically this argument between. You know, Ed, um, William and Logan about the the company they work for, and basically Logan's constantly trying to bait William into and giving in to his desires and experience in the park. Kind of once again foreshadowing of the Man in Black. Um, just putting that out there, keeping that theory alive, keeping the theory alive. I feel um, it. But yeah, so basically, you know. He's constantly trying to push him, you know, and he he belittles him basically, you know, ridicules him. He says, you know, I still remember that day you came like into my office in your cheap suit, um, all happy with the fact that you'd made what was it like assistant executive vice president? Yeah, that was the best day in your life. That, yeah, that was the best day in your life. Um, and William looks like he's about to throttle him. Because uh, he grabs him by a throat, pins him up, and he looks like he's going to do something. But then, once again, the sensible, rational William kicks in, lets go, and he goes, "Yeah, I didn't think so." Um, and when he turns around, you know, Dolores is gone. She's walking, like you say, accurately down the hall of blowjobs, um, and she she comes to the end, and there's a room, and she opens a room, and the Dolores fortune teller woman is in there. Um, kind of scares her a little bit. Um, and sends her hurtling back out. Meanwhile... Um, wait, wait, wait. Before we get oh. out of this scene, this has th- some really nice body horror of her looking down and seeing like a thread coming out of her arm. Yes. And she starts oh, yeah, yeah. tugging on it and, and opening up her forearm. It was horrible. Yep. It was horrible. It but was it, really, it, really, really well done. It, it's real. But it go, going back to your you know parallel timeline theory... Mm-hmm. This could be like the genesis of, the, you know, whatever. Like, I, there's, and we'll get into this in episode six, but 
you know, the thing that is in the arm, Mm -hmm. why couldn't it have been something that Arnold put there? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think so, and what we, you know, we're going to we'll touch on it in the next episode. But basically, um, meanwhile, our our Lawrence lookalike um, is is up to a bit of jiggery pokery, as we call it over here, um, and he has <laughs> some sub- here. Yep, uh, <laughs> has substituted out all the nitro and replaced it with what I think is tequila um, and, and all the bottles, and. Um, as William bumps into Dolores, they start to walk out. They bump into the Confederales or whatever they're called. Um, Confederados, and... you ignorant rich. <laughs> Confederados, who are like, you know, what is this bullshit? Um, you look at this bottle, you like, and the bottle falls and it doesn't explode. Everyone thought it was going to realize there's alcohol in it. Um, they blame, rightly, well, or wrongly, actually, they blame William and Logan as being behind it. Logan gets grabbed, which this is quite interesting, and this is what also makes me think of the the twin timelines as a thing, um, because like we we keep getting told that the right the host can't kill you, but they're not really supposed to be able to harm you either, and like Logan gets like grabbed and. Like the shit is getting beat yeah. out of him, satisfyingly beat up. Yeah, and he's he's grabbed and he he looks up to William, asks William for help, and William says no. And when William says no, Logan kind of smiles, um, in a way which makes me think that he he knows that the park's got he's got him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Williams, he's he's now he's now part of the game. You know, yeah. He's he, he's given into that the the thing that he wanted when he was trying to provoke him all the way through this has finally got him. Um, and William and Dolores head off. Um, are we leaving? Catch Logan. a train in the night. To catch it is, is quite romantic. Um, but this train is is full of a dead body with nitro, and um, the Lawrence lookalike. And we we kind of after Dolores threatens to shoot the body, thus causing an explosion. We would imagine um, everyone kind of settles down, and very quickly William positions himself opposite the Lawrence lookalike, um, takes a bit of a drink, and kind of settles into whatever the next part of their adventure is. Yes, and now. Uh... Unless you have more to say about that, I I, I think no. All that was it, it's it's real fun. Like Westworld is still a, a great fun show mm-hmm. when it's just being a western. And the, yes, there yeah. there are some character moments happening, but it's also hey, we've got this corpse filled with nitroglycerin on a train, mm-hmm. and that's that's a pretty old west ass, old west move. <laughs> and yeah, so we move then to what is. Just the centerpiece of, of this episode, even though mm-hmm. it comes in the final moments, it is uh, the man in black strolling into a bar, Teddy in tow, who is looking much better. Yep. And we see somebody playing uh, the old timey piano, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we call it. And uh, 
the gentleman stops playing, gets up, and uh, sits down with the man in black and Teddy at the table. And lo and behold, it is uh, Robert Ford with a bottle of whiskey and three glasses there to, yeah. to jawbone a little bit with the man in black. And I got an erection at this point. Like, like full, full-blown erection. Very much like the, 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 the carcass we saw earlier on. All the blood rushed out my head. I couldn't think. I couldn't speak. I was... It's fully hard. It's Westworld heat. It's the moment in heat where it is. It Pacino is. and De Niro exactly finally sit Yeah. Yeah, because you, you have these two iconic characters, but you have these two iconic actors. I mean, I would never have thought I would have ever seen the day where Ed Harris would be sitting opposite Anthony Hopkins in, like, the greatest, like, like culmination of two characters finally meeting at the halfway point of the season. Um... And they, and they know each other, which is interesting. Um, and the story kind of... So basically Ford asks him what he's, what he's up to. What was his game here? And um, the man in black tells him he's going to find the maze. And also a, one of our theories that you're not going to see on the Reddits all the time, or maybe you do, I don't know, uh, is once more... Robert mentions, like, hey, you're in kind of a hurry. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That We think that he may be on his way out. Um, Shuffle off this mortal coil, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, um, it betrays a certain anxiety, <laughs> is what he says. Yeah. You come in here with your cheap shoes and your... Um, <laughs> you're real wrong good show. at that. Wrong show. Wrong show. Um... <laughs> Did you breastfeed her, madam? Um, sorry. Uh, so toughens your nipples. Oh, it's the best scene ever. It's the best scene ever. Um, so yeah, so he asks him, and uh, you know he's like he's after the, the, the maze. And what I liked about this, I I I don't know if you you picked up on this. Um, and I, I picked up on this. I was quite surprised out with Reddit uh, because it was a particular phrase. That was mentioned to to Teddy um, from from Ford, and it was like a, a literary quote. And as soon as he said it, I was like, "Oh!" So I googled it on the old phone, um, and it was some some Sir Walter Scott, very famous writer from Scotland. Um, there's a giant statue of him in Edinburgh. Uh, you mean Ed- Edinburgh? Uh, Ed- the Edinburgh, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, and basically um, the the particular phrase that he mentions actually relates to a piece of work that he wrote about a knight who is on a journey to save a damsel in distress, which is kind of what Teddy's doing at yep. the moment. Um, and basically his, his journey to save her will awaken her because it's almost like a Snow White scenario. Um that she's, you know, she's in eternal slumber, and he will fight his way to rescue and bring her back to life, um, which is quite interesting uh, because I have further theories, Bo. Um But yeah, so this, this is a great a great showdown between these these two characters because um, basically the man in black starts asking particular questions about Wyatt, and he says, you know, have you finally built me? You know, have you finally given me a worthy adversary? 
you know, if you finally put someone in that, you know, that's worth my time, uh, a worthy adversary and opponent. I think he thinks that Wyatt might potentially be either like the gatekeeper to the whole maze thing or the guy at the center of the maze. I think he thinks this is a, this, this well, optional. He, uh, he doesn't really know all of the center of the maze stuff at this point, right? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He does, or he hasn't the heard thing, the though. legend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's. I, I think he, he he thinks that this is like this is the the ultimate challenge for him. Though is this? I think he thinks that this this why it can hurt him. Uh, and as we found out, which also kind of springs out to the the whole two timeline theory. Um, although it's kind of dismissed in this next in the next episode, kind of. Um, but Logan obviously has the shit kicked out of him, and we know that they've been shot and bruises will happen when they get shot. Yet the man in black has been shot with tons of bullets. Doesn't appear to be, you know, any, any bruises at all in his body. So it makes me think that the program's more sophisticated because time has passed that, you know, just nothing hurts a guest in the park. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that supports, I, I really am starting to come around to this in a big, bad way. So yeah, this is it. Like, this is the episode for me where I was like that actually maybe like the people that picked up on this in the, the second episode were obviously, you know, putting forward a, 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 a particular idea of where they were going. But to me, episode five starts to solidify and episode six especially start to solidify a lot of these theories. Um, but yeah, he, you know, we've seen him, like, the bullets don't even touch him. Um, so, and what I really liked about this is the knife, right? The knife that he pulls out in front of Ford. Ford looks at it as if he's seen the knife before. Did you get that? Uh, no, I didn't register that reaction because the line before kind of blew my mind. <laughs> Tell them what the line was. The, all right, so the line before that moment is, uh, as they're talking about you know the Man in Black's quest through Westworld, uh, Anthony Hopkins says, "You want the moral of the story? Just ask." <laughs> and <laughs> so good. Uh, I know it's it's more fun to do than it is to hear listeners. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so. He says, uh, the man in black responds, like, I need to get a, sh- I need a shovel. And he says, besides, the man I'd be asking died 35 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and almost took this place with him if it weren't for me. Yeah. And then the knife thing happens. But when that's happening, I'm like, oh, it, like, he is somehow critical to the park's survival. Like, he and Ford clearly have not just know each other, they have a history. Yeah, they have a, they, yeah, they have a, a, a long history. It, it produces a knife, and I personally thought I saw some sort of recognition between, you know, Ford and the knife. Like, he has seen this knife before, or is very familiar with this knife. Um, and I kind, I kind of love this because, like, Ford is, Ford is kind of like Neo in the Matrix, like when Neo finally realizes that he can just stop bullets. Um, you know what I mean? He can just affect everything around him. And while he's, while the Man in Black's been all Johnny Big Boss with his his knife, um, you know, Teddy <laughs> unwillingly. Um, 
pretty much, not knowing what he's doing, the hand comes out and grabs, you know, the the, the, the man in black's hand, removes the knife, and that knife gets slammed into the table. Um, and you realise very quickly that, like, Ford, without actually even saying a command, has done one of these weird eye things, and it's triggered Teddy. And, uh, oh, I took it as more that, if Ford is threatened in the park, that every host would be would would have an obligation to protect him. Well, there's there's a, see earlier on, and I think it was the second episode. One of the things that was established is that if any guest tries to hurt another guest, the host would step in. So there's maybe that. I just I like I like to live in a world where Ford is just Neo from the Matrix, right? And sure. Like he just sure. Kind of looks at Teddy, and Teddy just like fucking disarms the man in black um, without actually knowing he's doing it. And then obviously we get that that line about him, you know, from from uh, Sir Walter Scott. Um, and can I give you one other Anthony Hopkins line that I love in this scene? Do it, do it, do it. Do it. All right, so it, it's the moment where he's like, "Look, I, you know, I'll let you go. Here's the knife back. Go about your business." And the way he phrases it, <laughs> phrases it is, far be it from me to stand in the way of self-discovery. <laughs> and, oh, it's so good. Uh, and then, yeah, and then he takes off and... Uh... Yeah, all, all, off he fucks. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, yeah, and uh, the, the piano starts playing automated and, you know, everything starts kind of going about his business. But that's not the final scene in the episode. The final scene in the episode, we cut back to our buddy Felix... Who's finally got his his uh, bird flying, yay! Um, and everything seems great until uh, until Maeve basically speaks to him. And not only does she speak to him, she knows his name. Oh yeah. Oh, and we were like <gasps> deep in take a breath, and it was like credits. And I was like, "You son of a bitch! You better start your next episode right from this point." And it does. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of on board with what you say. Uh, I think there are a couple of things which don't feel necessarily satisfying in season, uh, sorry, in episode five. Um, I think there's qu- there's quite a lot that was satisfying. I loved the the town of whores um, and decadence of like a modern day Caligula's party, um, Caligula's stag do, um, where everything was just mental and i loved all that stuff and it you know it kind of once again sets up a really cool scenario for for the transformation of the william character if indeed he is the man in black um is is certainly letting us see those aspects of the character going through certain things that are now starting to mold him and see how into the story he's getting you know into the part he, he is getting which once again would explain why the man in black is so obsessed um and Dolores, maybe not used the best in this episode, but we, you know, she's still still very much a player in it. And she has one of the more kick-ass lines of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do uh, like the line quite a bit where um, she, uh, in reference to somebody saying, like, you know, do you see yourself as the hero? And she says, you know, I just see myself as not being the damsel. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it, it, it's a nice moment. Um, I, you know, even Bad Westworld is pretty good. It turns uh, out it is, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think this is, like, this is not great Westworld episode five. 
but it's a great show. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, we discussed kind of the, the, the feeling of emptiness, of want, of need that I felt at the end of this, uh, which maybe isn't such a bad thing. You know, maybe maybe it's nice to pine uh, a little bit uh, in a day of binging television that uh, being a little frustrated that I couldn't get more answers. Maybe that's not a, a horrible thing. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a show like this, which is built on a premise of mystery, um, it's going to have episodes like this. It's, you know, it's going to. I, I think back to the the early seasons of Lost, um, and some of the some of the best episodes of that first season in particular were the ones where very little happened. The story didn't progress that much, but it left you with so many questions that you maybe weren't necessarily satisfied, but you couldn't wait to continue the journey the following week. And I kind of feel that's what episode five did. We're at the middle point of the season. It would be great to have some sort of show-stopping moment at the middle of the season. We kind of get that in the next episode. Um, episode five basically info dumps a lot. There's a lot of exposition in it. Uh, done through characters more than anything else. Um, we have we have Ford given a bit of exposition. We have Logan given a shit ton of exposition. Um and we even have the Man in Black, to an extent, giving you some as well. So it's kind of... There's a lot of information put in place. I, I feel that some of the information we already knew, uh, and it almost feels like it's for audience members that maybe aren't... Maybe put there in such a way that if there are some audience members that are totally confused by what's happening, it kind of brings them up to speed. Um, and that's why not like huge amounts of of story happen in episode five it's more a way of just saying right this is opportunity for you all to catch up get your breath by the way the next episode's going to move us on quite a bit and then we're you know in the last last four episodes of the season so hold on to your butts um but yeah i thought i thought it was okay i think um we should probably just jump straight into episode six because so much fucking stuff happened in episode six it was pretty crazy and none of it involves logan william or dolores at all that that storyline is now on hold it's on the back burner um until maybe the next episode uh, maybe episode seven i don't know yeah I, I i'll tell you duncan i feel like uh we've got an hour 45 in here holy on, shit right on on this episode uh Fucking as hell. as much as i hate to tease the listeners <laughs> I feel like this is an episode, and then an we'll, hour forty-five. Uh, yeah, so is, we've done like two episodes, essentially two episodes of viewing worth of Westworld and one one review of West. What? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I I, th- I feel like we should put a seal here, and also as as we mentioned in in the upfront, this is election night in America, and I I, I do want to go see how that goes down. Yeah, I think you should. I think you definitely should. It, well, I got to know if I got to book a flight to <laughs> to Scotland, because um, <laughs> I'm going to be on your doorstep, toot sweet, um, <laughs> if, if things go a certain direction. So, because I don't want to go down in the first wave, because you know who goes. Nope bicyclists bilinguals those are suspect uh yeah where there's gonna be trouble um so yeah uh listeners bear with us we feel like this is uh a, a pretty good chunk of material we talk a lot of conspiracy stuff and i feel the only reason i'm saying we need to stop here 
is once we get into episode six, holy goodness, there is a lot to chew on. Oh yes. So we're we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in it here, uh, and you will hear this soon. And then Duncan and I, as soon as uh, we both can, uh, will will continue this conversation, and we will get that out. Uh, as quickly as possible. So, uh, thanks for bearing with us. But I, I hope you enjoyed it because I feel like I feel like in in both this episode of the show and this episode of the podcast, now we're getting to the stuff that is crazy. Mm. And and episode six is is gonna like we light the candle here. It's gonna go off next episode. Um. Okay. <laughs> so. Duncan, uh, before we, we put a seal on this particular episode, uh, parting thoughts and where can can people hear from you? Uh, the parting thoughts are I know where the next episode goes and you need to keep checking out what we're doing. As you can see, we've upped the conspiracy theories on this episode. God knows where we'll go next episode. I'm fairly sure Bo's sticking with Spaceship. It's not Spaceship, Bo. I don't uh, want to burst total- that bubble. It's one of It's a little, little bit of a spaceship. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, uh, j- just let us know what you're making of the show. I think that's the, the the fun part is I'm spouting off a lot of things that I've read on the internet now, um, dismissing things that I totally think are nonsense. And trust me, there's plenty of that out there. Um, and kind of formulating my own idea of what Westworld is and what the story is you guys will be doing exactly the same so let us, let us know, post it on the Facebook group page or you know get in touch through the, the, the Legion podcast webpage, legionpodcast.com and just reply to the show uh, reply to this episode and let us know um, and yeah you can check out <clears throat> the multitude of other shows I do on Legion Podcast and make sure you check out that Chronicle season finale and that first episode season 2 beginning the kickoff of Hero Hero Ghost Show, where myself and Bo sat for about equally comparable time as it took us to talk about one episode of Westworld. And we talk about Ringu, which, by the way, is a terrifying movie. It, it is. I was happy to see that somebody immediately uh, said, you know, I haven't watched it in a long time. I wonder if it holds up. It's like, oh, watch it. Yeah, you- I, was ex- I was in exactly the same, but I hadn't seen it in the best part of a decade. And yeah, that, that movie... That movie's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's all right, and and thanks again for doing it. It's just tradition at this point. Like you are the first episode of of every season. Uh, yay, yay! Because uh, we don't talk enough. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, folks, thanks again for listening. And as Duncan said, uh, please uh, check us out on Facebook at Legion Podcasts, uh, as, as well as some various other locations. But you can find all that. On legionpodcasts.com, Duncan and his thick Scottish tongue often leaves out the uh, the plural, the s before the dot com. Uh, so, and and it's only it, it hurts me because I've tried to get that domain, and and somebody <laughs> is sitting on it and won't give it up. Uh, Motherfuckers! I, right? I'm like, just I nah, let me have it, please. So uh, that hasn't worked yet. So uh, send uh, I, I I will put his Twitter handle up, and you can send threats to him. Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't ever ever do that. Um, but thank you all for listening, and uh, we will be back very soon with a continued discussion of episode six. Uh, as I said, I hate to put a pin in it, but my goodness, there's so much to talk about, and uh, you know we all have to get on with our lives at some point. So uh, we're gonna go do that, and we will see everybody. 
very shortly for more uh, about Westworld. Uh, we're, we're, we put a stamp on Contrapasso. Uh, that particular torture is done now, Duncan. Thank you so much for being here. Yay! Yay! Good night, everybody. Bye!
Just a fading fucking reminder 